are you listening to Discovery Debrief? And uh, so did I. It's Jason Isaacs, who was, at some point, some version of Captain Lorca. Right now, I'm just a fan. gentlemen and other fellow humans welcome back to discovery debrief a podcast setting a course to discuss the future of the final frontier in star trek strange new worlds discovery lower decks and more i'm co-host chris clow and i'm joined by two other members of our bold panel of star trek franchise explorers including ty monaghan what's up chris how you doing excellent sir welcome back and the unconquerable the victorious kapla cicero holmes I'm all hopped up on them bega juice. What's going on? <laughs> <laughs> oh man, that's that's gonna be that's gonna be a fun thing to uh, to talk about. Some compound uh, M was not, <laughs> was not exactly on my bingo card when it came to the return of Strange New Worlds. But that is, of course, what we're here to talk about. Star Trek: Strange New Worlds has returned for its second season. Uh, the first episode just aired uh, last Thursday. We're recording this on Wednesday, so the second episode is going to be around tomorrow. But um, you know, we'll we'll certainly try to get back on the horse and bring these episode discussions to you because I don't know about you guys, I'm very happy that this show is back. Like the the 25th century detour was fun, and I think we did get some some really valuable moments out of it. But I mean, when it comes to current Trek, I have to say that I think this is where my heart is, guys. Uh, I, this this is the this is the one to beat at the moment. But uh, we'll 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 certainly dive into things. But we got a lot of catching up to do because the last time that any members of our panel got together was to discuss the season finale, then the series finale of Star Trek Picard, uh, and that was a while ago now. So Ty. I want to throw it to you first because last time we talked, you were rather briskly working through a watch of Star Trek Deep Space Nine. Please update us on how that journey is progressing. Uh, the journey has progressed. The journey is complete. Uh, oh. We went ahead and, and finished uh, DS9 in, in its entirety. Uh, DS9 is best. Uh, the way that everything culminates uh in both like kind of sometimes the ways that you were expecting and and in some cases like totally far beyond uh what i ever could have expected uh it's like angels and demons mount doom uh i mean it's amazing uh it's so good and like there's a couple of just like indelible images from the finale in particular that will Mm. just like really stick with me um especially like i talked a, a few times on this podcast about um you know the relationship between ben and jake cisco and how enjoyable that was just to watch and to kind of like be around um and the way that uh that thread gets resolved or maybe like resolved is not quite the right word uh is, is one of those things that really sticks with me about the show um 
And I definitely, uh, I don't know, have either of you checked out the comics, the like newer comic series that like involves, I think like Data's in it and also Benjamin Sisko. And Spock. I have them all. I have not started reading them Yeah. And this made me, so as like kind of a spoiler to myself, I had read when that comic was announced that it it, uh, featured Benjamin uh, after he had gone to be with the prophets or something like that. And I didn't quite interpret that correctly uh, at the time. Uh, and now seeing the episode, I was like, oh, that's not quite what I thought. Uh, but <laughs> yeah, uh, it was just, it, yeah, it was cool. Uh, like I said, I felt like they built up really well. And uh, the things that I was expecting like happened and were fulfilling with the addition of some totally crazy curveball stuff that was really, really fun. Yeah, most definitely. Um, can I also mention that uh, we went ahead and detoured and watched the third uh, original series. We watched Star Trek Three: The Search for Spock. Oh, okay. Yeah, that's what we thought, too. That's about all I have to say about it. Oh, okay. <laughs> wow. Spicy. Great, Scott. That movie was boring. Uh, you, agree, you agree with, uh, with <laughs> President Ronald Reagan, then? Oh, no, don't say it that way. (laughs) (laughs) Wait, what did he say? He wrote in his diary that they screened Star Trek 3 at the White House and it wasn't too good. That's what he said. Yeah, I I would have to agree with him then in that case. (laughs) (laughs) Well, so have you you seen two and four? I've seen two. We're doing them in order. So I've seen seen one, two, three. So you you haven't gotten to four yet. I mean, two, three, and four are a trilogy within the film series. So I don't know. I, I would be interested to know if any of your perceptions change after completing the story. Because it's like, I remember when I walked out of The Last Jedi, I was like, geez, man, that was something else. I, w- I can't wait to see how they stick the landing. And in that case, they didn't. But with Star Trek Four, it was also one of the most popular star trek movies that has ever been released so take take that for what you will but um i felt like there were like 25 straight minutes of like bad weather special effects and like a young spock like shrieking like like that's the only takeaway i have from that whole film like (laughs) okay yeah well we might have to have words yeah so I I can understand um, Ty's perspective on this because when you look at when you look at Wrath of Khan and then you look at uh, Star Trek Four, I don't know that we needed we needed Search for Spock because of what happened at the end of Star Trek Two, but. Once that was completed, right? Like once you found Spock, the rest of the movie like wasn't important. But well, what happened in, in Star Trek Four? Yeah, like there it, wasn't yeah. to me the first Star Trek film, and then also Wrath of Khan have very clear like Kirk focused, character driven things, like kind of propelled like as a through line through the story. And this one was just like literally a whole movie based around like the mechanics of bringing a character back that you killed in the last movie. And that's not like worth the whole movie. (laughs) 
so there's there's a lot of things that are packed in here. Honestly, this could probably be its own show. Suffice <laughs> it to say, I don't think that you would hear anybody argue that of two, three, and four, three is the strongest link. You know, I don't think anybody would say that. As a TOS guy, the thing that I take the most from Star Trek Three personally is just that. Other members of the crew get their moments more than maybe we had seen before. Uh, there's a great moment in George Takei's autobiography where he talks about shooting the scene uh, where he overpowers the security guard in Star Trek Three. He did not want that scene because the guy insulted Sulu. They said, you know, watch what you say, tiny. Like calling him tiny. Takei took a lot of umbrage at that. Then he actually played it and saw how the scene came off and it was not it, it didn't look at sulu in a diminutive light far from it it was just like wow that guy's awesome he can he can do what and uhura got a nice moment out of it but the thing that i think i love the most about star trek 3 is the use of dr mccoy the weird sort of uh fish out of water oh no there's something else occupying my brain i don't know how to deal with this also i have a really antagonistic kind of friendship with this guy and he's in my head more than he's ever been before how do i deal with that i thought d kelly played that beautifully personally but i understand where you're coming from and I know that it's not like for a long time until Star Trek Nemesis came out, there was the even number rule, right? Where only the even number Trek movies were the good ones. And, you know, Star Trek three fell into that, but people also poop too much on Star Trek, the motion picture, but you know, there's a whole other show. I love that one whole other show. So yeah. Well, thank you. Can, Ty. I'm, well, I'm glad that you have, I mean, I'm glad and I'm kind of mourning the fact that you've made it through DS nine because you know, you're not going to be able to watch it for the first time again ever, which sucks. But now you also have all the great memories of that show. We need to do a debrief of DS nine. It's hard. There's like a, it's like, it feels like I'm like, there's almost like a mourning process because when you binge these shows that are so long, that have so many episodes, like they're, they're with you for a really long time. And the characters become like a part of your like daily routine, almost in some cases. Um, I'm sorry to monopolize. Oh, I just, yeah, go ahead. I had to mention one more, this is a topic change, but I had to mention one more very weird because you, if you remember, um, I kept watching DS nine and things about like, like the changelings, for example, kept revealing themselves, uh, in like these weirdly serendipitously, uh, coincidental times, right? Like, so I would, happened to watch a deep space nine episode that revealed something right before it would happen to come up again in Picard. And I just had the most bizarre experience, Chris, I know you're going to talk a little bit about uh, resurgence of the game in a minute. Um, I recently uh, took a, a trip uh, and on that trip was flipping through some hotel room channels and good old BBC America was cranking out the, uh, the Star Trek episodes and they were playing an episode of TNG. I think it's actually the fourth, the fourth episode of the show called The Last Outpost. Uh, where the Enterprise is uh, captured with uh, like some kind of beam, you know, along with this Ferengi ship. Uh, and it turns out to be this ancient technology from this this empire called the Takan. And that was just a, a pure coincidence that I just happened to stumble on that episode, like I said, just airing on TV. 
um, and happen to watch it through and uh, re- be reminded of the existence of of such great characters as uh, Portal 6-3 um, and the lore behind there. And then about a week later, I played uh, Star Trek Resurgence, which if you have played that game, um, while that was quite a coincidence and once again i could not have planned it better uh if i tried so i just had to get that in there the universe is aligning this franchise for you perfectly yes it's that's yeah, there's something good thank the prophets you know <laughs> uh, the tyler is of bajor i guess I <laughs> it's not linear it's no, not clearly it's not, clearly, yeah, it's not. Yes. that's incredible yeah. man no that, yeah we'll, we'll we'll touch on that briefly here in a moment but cicero uh, please enlighten us about what your life in Trek has been like. And you also uh, had the uh, you had a recent appearance on the YouTube channel of our good friend Kyle Sullivan over there at Trekspertise. Tell us about that and just your life in Trek over the last couple months. Well, yeah, he he couldn't get enough of me. He brought me over uh, to, <laughs> to sully the the fine reputation of his podcast channel. Um, I do want to talk about that. I do want to talk about that. But there is one thing that I, I've got to pull the pin out of because I am dying to know. I have not asked him <laughs> this yet. Um, Ty, when you think of Lieutenant Worf, when you think of Worf, where do, where do you associate Worf? Is he a TNG character or is he a DS9 character for you? Okay, well, there's like a severe recency bias here too. Fair, you know what I mean? Fair, like fair. because of what I was just saying about right. like sp- the time spent. Sure. Uh, to to honestly answer your question right now, the first thing that pops into my head is Jedzia Dex. That is that relationship yeah. is the first thing that I think of more than any particular crew or ship. So I mean, that does answer your question, right? Right. 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 And now, so, yeah. So, like, I, I think I've said that, I think I've said that on this show before. Um, but yeah, for me, when I think of Worf, when I think of O'Brien, easy, right? When I think of O'Brien, I think of him as DS9. Of course. But, but, yeah. but, but even Worf, who spent all seven seasons on, on the Enterprise D, I feel like he became a character. He became uh, uh, fully realized as as a being on on DS9 um you know yeah we knew alexander yeah i would agree um, with that and, yeah and, right and some some of those things but like we actually got to learn who Worf was uh via via DS9 and i you know i will forever associate him with with that spaceship yeah with that station so um, yeah, so uh, that's that's that was what I wanted to know. So thank you very much for indulging me. Um, <laughs> back to uh, Kyle Sullivan and uh, the bad decision to invite me on uh, his, <laughs> his his YouTube channel. Um, he he did um, surround me with wonderful people. Anytime you you get a chance to talk about Star Trek um, with people who love the franchise, um, it is a wonderful time. And, and it is something, there is something special and different about Star Trek fans um, that is, that is a level, there's a level of safety and oneness and, and um, a bond with, with Star Trek fans that, uh, that, very few fandoms, I think, really, 
really kind of understand there's a, like there's a, a completeness um, behind a, a true fan that you that you understand and you and you feel safe around them. I guess it's like juggalos, but um, but nonetheless, um, <laughs> <laughs> Kyle uh, Kyle decided to make a a Trexpertise video for uh, the Star Trek Picard season three. Um, finale or at least postseason discussion, and he invited myself um, and a, a friend of our show, uh, Brandon Phibbs, um, but also Jesse Gender, Lyrical Giraffe, and uh, and himself to talk about um, talk about luminaries. Picard season. Yes, yes, luminaries in in the field and and dumb old me um, to talk you, about. You are among them, sir. Right, talking about Star Trek, uh, Picard season three, and we and we did so for uh, a, a little over two hours, but it was a great time. Um, and if you if you guys are interested in hearing what some other people thought about uh, Star Trek and and uh, or about Picard season three, and uh, really, I think that uh, honestly, I think the the conversations were were you know both entertaining, but also like. There, there was, there was like scholarship there, right? Like there, there was, there was, there was definitely some, you know, some really critical analysis. But, but also, I think that there was, there was a lot of things that that could be gleaned um, from, from a, you know, from just like a, an educational and societal standpoint um, during during the course of those conversations that uh, I really enjoyed being a part of. So, thanks, Kyle. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Always, um, always a big thanks to Kyle. I mean, yeah. look, I, I have a ton of respect for anybody who has both the intelligence and the endurance in some cases to make like four hour single videos all about Star Trek. So Jesse Gender totally falls into that category. Yes. Um, I've spoken to her a couple of times. I think we're going to try to get jesse on the show at some point in the future so you know we're gonna have to relive some of the debates that you and jesse had (laughs) during that video which was very very uh engaging and and fun to watch and thought-provoking all at the same time so uh if those of you listening to the show have not watched that video on trexpertise's channel please do so it's a it's a good use of your time especially if you like to think about uh, you know what the franchise brings to the table, potentially from a more critical perspective, because there was it wasn't it certainly was not a love fest, and I think that a lot of the points that were brought up were very valid and uh, and worthy of exploration. So I think you guys did a phenomenal job. But thank you, thank you, know, you, you so. assemble a group like that, including yourself. How could they not do a phenomenal job? Right. So uh, um, yeah, um, anything in else? Addition, yeah, in, in addition yeah. to that. Um, yeah, I I also uh, spent some time um, with the Takan in uh, in Star Trek Resurgence, um, and uh, really really enjoyed myself. Um, I also engaged with the franchise by listening to this very uh, podcast and and the review by our captain Chris Clow um, for. Uh, that very game, Star Trek Resurgence. And I purposefully did not listen to your review until after I had completed the game sure. to see, to, to, to formulate my own thoughts and then to listen to your review to see 
where our thoughts aligned and where they differed. Um, and and I, I'll, I'll say that I think in, in very many ways, our thoughts were aligned um, with our thoughts about the game, especially when it came to um, like the narrative choices and the weight those narrative choices had and how well the game understood the genre in which it was in or the the franchise in which it was set. Um, it, it really, really, really felt like a great Star Trek episode um, with great characters that I understood well um, and that I cared about. And they, you know, that's, that's remarkable that they were able to do that with that game. Yeah. The, uh, the crew of the resolute, we definitely got to see a lot of different levels uh, over the course of that game. Um, It was, it was fun to play through. And again, thanks to dramatic labs for the, for the promotional consideration and letting us take a look at it uh, slightly ahead of release. Um, but yeah, that was episode 95 of, of debrief. And I had a lot of fun putting that together. It, it was, was a little bit spectacular, of a spectacular, sir. Spectacular. Oh, thank you. Thank yes. you very much. I appreciate yeah. that. I mean, I don't know if there were any other 30 minute reviews of that game that were put out around the same time. <laughs> uh, but no, I, I, it sounds like you guys have both played it. Ty, did you enjoy uh, resurgence? Look, I mean, it's the hardest question. Yes, I enjoyed the narrative. (laughs) I enjoyed, you know, the Star Trek parts of Resurgence a great deal. Like, Mm -hmm. just awesome. Such a memorable story. Not just that. It didn't just feel like an episode of Star Trek. It felt like an episode of TNG, like just like with this, like a time shift and stuff like that. But like tonally, it was spot on with TNG. And I had the most fun when I embraced that and every time I was confronted with a choice, I was like, I'm going to do what like data would do, (laughs) you know? (laughs) Right. Yeah. Yeah. The, the ability that the game gives you, particularly when you're in the shoes of, uh, of Jara Rydek to make those kinds of critical command decisions and to potentially, you know, slap your captain in the face for all intents and purposes that uh it's a little nerve-wracking like that very first choice that you have to mm-hmm. make about whether you're going to follow in 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 terms of the captain's orders or you're going to go your own way like that sets the tone for the the tenor of choices that you're going to have to make with right. commander Rydek. but then you have uh uh diaz and he brings just a totally different kind of air to the choices that you make but no less severe i think in terms of what he does uh, but we should, maybe we should do a more dedicated episode where we sort of compare and contrast the choices that we made and, uh, and talk a little bit more about the game because, uh, it, it was fun. It was a good time. And we got a new Star Trek game, apparently hitting, uh, at least PCs. I don't know if it's coming to consoles, but it's a strategy game. Uh, it was a Star Trek infinity, I think, or infinity. I've not even, this is news to me. Oh, okay. Yeah, they just announced it on Captain Picard Day, which was last Friday, I guess. Right. Oh. And uh, so I didn't even see the banner. Um. <laughs> yeah. What the hell? <laughs> I got to get one of those just to put in my apartment. You know. Just like, oh, hey, it's Captain Picard. Day. But uh, yeah. Well, excellent. Well, uh, always good to catch up with you, gentlemen. But now, without further ado, let's move on to our discussion about Episode One of Star Trek: Strange New Worlds, Season Two. The Broken Circle. 
So just as a reminder, uh, if people are tuning into this for the first time to hear one of our episode uh, recaps, uh, Discovery Debrief is a companion to your own watching experience. It is not a replacement for it. So we are going to be talking about the full content of the episode. If you don't want to be spoiled, I suggest you tune out until you have seen the episode in its entirety. But without further ado, let's go. So once again, from the fine editors over at Wikipedia, who have these very svelte episode summaries that provide the basis for our discussion, let's begin. While undergoing upgrades, the Enterprise receives a distress call from Security Chief La'an Noonien Singh, who is searching for Oriana's parents on the Klingon-governed mining planet Kajitar 4. With Number 1 imprisoned and Captain Pike recruiting her defense counsel, Spock decides to disobey Admiral April's orders and hijack the Enterprise. Uh, what is it with Spock in stealing the Enterprise? This is not the first time that we have seen Spock steal the Enterprise. <laughs> so it's fun to think about it just on that basis. But what did you guys make of this as a MacGuffin, just in terms of kicking the season off? Because a lot of stuff happened. You know, there's some service given to the plight of number one, which I think we'll be seeing next week play out more fully. But this week is Captain Pike is just kind of there at the beginning, then he's gone, and then Spock has the center seat and decides to go on a rogue, unsanctioned mission against the express wishes of Admiral Robert April. Uh, what did you guys make of this in terms of a starter? Ty, why don't you begin? Yeah, I think one of the things about this show for me is that like they can kind of do whatever they want, and it sort of seems preposterous to me that like they're just going to steal the Enterprise like out of space. Dot, you know, like it. It's 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 too much, right? But for this show, and especially for the first episode of a season, when you know they're going to do something, like it, they they nail this like fun tone right like just straddling the line between uh like almost like slapstick level of fun and like yeah. zaniness but also like keeping it grounded and like they deliver that zaniness through like very particular um like uh, almost caricature level like character moments right so that like last few minutes when they're about to steal the enterprise and the inspectors are going through and like each of the characters kind of gets their moment to like tell off the inspectors and right. And like Ortegas is like, I like my controls flipped. Cause like, yeah, that was me with Xbox back in the day. I played with like the inverted <laughs> yeah. for like years, you know, just to, just to be different. But anyway, um, and, and it's like, again, it's like, it's kind of corny. Like to me, it's like kind of too much, but it all comes together in this, like they know it's too much. And so, it all just kind of like, I'm like, they're going to steal the Enterprise? What? Like, are you serious? Like, yeah, cool. Okay, like, let's do it. Yeah, like, let's steal the Enterprise. Why not? You know, I don't know. Why not? Yeah. Cicero, how about you? One thing that I really love about this uh, show is th that they've really kind of thrown their sword down in the ground and said, we know that you know a lot of these characters, but we're this is our take on these characters, right? Mm -hmm. And 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 as a result of of being very definitive about them staking their claim on who the characters are going to be in this show, it gives them the latitude to do things. And and you know specifically the the, the one character that we know the best out of this crew is Spock, right? And this version of Spock. Um, is 
and has been, even through discovery, is much more human than the Spock that we've known historically, right? And we're we're getting to see a lot of that play out through um, his affection and his affinity for Nurse Chapel Mm -hmm. and how that motivates uh, the decisions that he makes and the way that he in sees Starfleet, right? Or, or just sees, you know, the world around him. Um, so, yeah, so I, I've, I've appreciated that, um, that aspect of, of him and of this show and what they're trying to do. Yeah. You know, it's funny because in, in the original series, the tension between Spock and nurse chapel is only really, hinted at except for maybe a couple of more uh and i use the term loosely explicit indications of how they feel about each other um but like they're running with it here like spock is in sickbay and when she walks into the room all of a sudden his vital spike you know like how else are you supposed to interpret that but it's also um you know it's it's fun to see how things are sort of extrapolated backward from the stuff that we know because there's plenty of threads to pull when it comes to like the season one proves Spock's relationship with Dupring and how that interacts with his relationship with nurse chapel. That is certainly really fun for, for me to watch and the way that, um, that Ethan Peck certainly plays that adds to that significantly. But um, no, I, I, I totally agree with, with both you guys and it's just, you know, it's fun watching the Enterprise get stolen, unless you know, Ty, you're watching Star Trek Three, I guess. Right? Yeah, can I just say Ethan Peck's especially like, I'm I'm just gonna say it, man. Watching Search for Spock, it's just like they play the clip eight times of like Jim, friends, fr-, you know, like this raspy voice, radiation Spock thing, and it's just like so. So maybe I'm like a little bit interpreting it through that lens. But I just thought Ethan Peck, like, I think he deserves a special shout out for this episode. Like, we've talked before about how, like, it's like, oh, man, they keep picking new people to play Spock. But, like, each time it's kind of like, oh, good job, you know? And, and, like, but I just thought in this case, it's like, you know, this guy's somehow bumping these other Spocks down the list almost. Like, he's just, I I thought, just doing an incredible job with the character and just really engaging to watch, so. Yeah, he definitely is. Um, you know, it's hard to create a pecking order for Spocks because the the ones that we have seen have been so strong. Ethan but, um, pecking order. <laughs> nice. That's an extra point to you. For, for yes. That. I didn't even I'm going to we put that on my yeah. bingo card. <laughs> well, um, another thing that's kind of interesting about this episode, even before we actually see them, is that we're invoking Klingons for the first time on this show. And I mean, I think that's a a way to get people's attention. Uh, You know, the Klingons are the most storied antagonists in the history of the franchise. Uh, But for, you know, most of the last 40 years, they haven't really been in first position as antagonists outside of a couple of specific instances in the 24th century, as we saw in DS nine around season four into five. Um, but how are you guys feeling about being, you know, just ready for, for more Klingons? How do you feel about them at this stage of the game, especially 
you know, being as connected certainly as this show is to discovery where we got to see a whole other side of Klingons that led to the war. How, how are things coming together in terms of like your expectations for Klingons in strange new worlds, Cicero? Um, man. Uh, so here's where I'm going to get pedantic, right? It's so the, 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 I'm all for Klingons, right? I'm all for them being back. <laughs> um, I'm all for, some of your uh, best friends are Klingons. Right, yeah, right, exactly. Um, I'm all for for seeing them again, but I'm I'm so disappointed in the fact that and, and maybe it's something that I missed, um, but I'm disappointed in the fact that the Klingons that we'll see uh in Strange New Worlds don't look like the Klingons that we saw in Discovery. Hmm. Even though the timeline is the same and there doesn't seem like they they physically look different. Now, I know that they are it is a return to the mean, right, for what Klingons look like, Klingon classic, um, or at least Klingon 2.0. Right. Um, uh, the so you know, a lot of people are gonna be happy about that, but personally, I was fine not only fine but enjoyed the fact that they that that in for discovery they were like hey we've got a bigger budget and we can make these people look more alien this is what a you know if if they had the money if they had the budget and the money to do what we could do this is what klingons would look like back then right um but now we can, so this is what they look like now, right? This is what we can do. Um, I'm feeling the, echoes of conversations we had for season one of, of Disco. Right, right. right. Like, yeah. yeah, right, right. And and the fact that they went back to, you know, Cleon Classic is, is, is kind of disappointing. And even, in fact, there were a couple of Klingons that I saw in, in the, during the course of the episode where I was like, man – that skin looks it it looks like a prosthetic. It doesn't look like skin on the makeup. Like it just seemed like they were doing it fast. Um and then there was one actor that was on the Klingon ship that we, you know, we were talking about Mbenga and everything else, where I think they didn't even have time to put the Klingon makeup on them and they just shot them from the back. And it was just like a regular dude with like dude face and got beat up. Um but you know, narratively, like yeah, bring the Klingons back. Klingons are awesome, right? And and we're right like that. This time with the Klingons is, is very tense. So yeah, they they make a great like will they won't they foil um, mm-hmm. for for stories. So yeah, go for it. Sure, I want to come back to your pedantic point in a second. But Ty, please, your perspective on the Klingons as we see them here. Or as we're preparing to meet them here, I guess. Yeah, I don't, I don't. I'll be honest. I don't really have strong feelings on them. Like I like the Kling, like the Klingons are like dwarves or something like that. You know what I mean? Like sometimes they're jerks, sometimes they're cool. But I think their real value is in that you kind of like can ascribe a set of like general traits to them as a group, uh, and that's somehow okay to do. And like so, it's just like you know, culturally, like between humans or the, the humanoid races of the Federation or whatever and Klingons, right? Like 
just it is known like Klingons are going to be more aggressive and violent and like respond, you know what I mean? Like respond differently to like friendliness versus Mm -hmm. firmness and things like that. Um, And so I think they like filled that role and they filled it well in this episode. I like, I don't know. I can't really keep track of like all these wars and not wars and treaties. And like, seriously, this planet rotates between Federation and Klingon control like every month. Like, sure, whatever, guys. Like, I, you know what I mean? Like, it's fine. Like, they have ships that can disappear. Like, I get it. Sure. It's fine. Yeah. yeah. I'm Those. not like, I, I, I kind of like, I totally feel Cicero's point. And I guess I like, if you had to make me pick like which Klingons I think they should have gone with for the show. I guess I kind of agree, but like, I don't really care, you know, like, yeah, this show, they do this makeup, this other show, they do this other makeup. Yeah. Well, I like the way know, they talked to discovery. That was fun, but you know, whatever. Yeah, man. Give me, give me more of the, uh, of the Vogue accent, right? Okay. Yeah, right. Exactly. <laughs> I thought that was cool. You know, it was just like, yeah, why not have, have some fun with it. And Shazad Latif, man. We yes. gotta, we gotta see more. We haven't heard if he's gonna be in the Sec Thirty One movie, but I certainly hope he is. Um, but that's kind of why I was bringing up like the character traits of the Klingons and everything so much is because like I, I think for this episode to work with the like kind of resolution that it did, like I, I don't that would have felt pretty off with the the Klingons from Discovery. I think. <laughs> yeah, yeah, well, I, I can. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, it's fun to think about just like over the past 10 years, just over the past 10 years, we have seen wild variations in terms of interpretations of the, the physical look of Klingons, you know, in Star Trek mm-hmm. into darkness, they did something that was, maybe it was a little tamer, but it was also like kind of harsher. It seemed to be a little bit of a forerunner to what they would end up doing in, in discovery. And then in discovery, I think the one of the things that's fun to think about, at least for me, is just that we were introduced to a rather extreme faction within the Empire that was led by Takuvma. And they already drew attention to the fact that Voke was like an albino, and that caused him to be, you know, viewed as something of an outcast. Honestly, like I didn't really understand. I still don't really understand all of the the, the belly aching that a lot of longtime Star Trek fans expressed about season one Discovery Klingons. Just because, first of all, like it's a pretty creative application of the original concept with modern makeup techniques, which we talked about a lot when we talked about season one of Disco on this show. But also, too, like if you really wanted to try and box this within the bounds of canon and you consider all of the variations that we've seen regarding Klingons just in the prime timeline, going back to the viral mutation that transformed them into being more human-like in Enterprise, up through what we've seen in Disco, up through you know Next Gen, TNG, and, uh, and Discovery, of course – it just seems like there's a lot more genetic diversity with Klingons than we maybe knew about before, you know? And, and it seems like they're such a regimented society that maybe they, uh, they, they find others who have similar physical traits to them and create units based on that. I mean, it's just total speculation on my part, but there's enough stuff that we've seen in the franchise that they can easily rationalize all of the different varying looks for Klingons. 
Like it just, it just doesn't bother me. And I, I think it's cool. I think it adds to the tapestry. You can pay attention to it if you want to, or you could ignore it and it doesn't matter, but someone will write a cool book about the, the sects of Klingon society someday. And I'll, I'll read it and I'll enjoy it. <laughs> Maybe you should write it. There you go. <laughs> I'll, just, I'll call up, uh, I'll call up our friend of the show, Dayton Ward. I'll, I'll pitch to him. Maybe he can, he can do that. He's got the credibility. I think, <laughs> I think that's an awesome perspective though, Chris. Oh, well, thank you. I mean, it's just, I mean, it's just from someone who spends an inordinate amount of time thinking about Klingon ridges, you know, cause I, <laughs> I certainly do. Well, let's, uh, let's move along with the plot. So, After narrowly avoiding being found out by an engineering inspector who then enthusiastically joins the crusade, the Enterprise travels to the planet. Spock, now Ensign Uhura, Dr. Mbenga, and Nurse Chapel hide the Enterprise in the planet's rings and beam down. They find La'an along with Oriana's parents, the latter of whom have been injured in a mine explosion, suggesting a photon torpedo impact. Klingon soldiers abduct Mbenga and Chapel onto a ship, made with Starfleet technology. So again, there's a lot packed in here. We'll talk about uh, Pelia in more specific detail shortly. But um, you know, one of the common complaints that a couple of our panelists have had over the years is that we don't get enough of the crew dynamic in Discovery. Cicero, I'm looking at you. Uh, but when it comes to your perspectives, I mean, you lauded the dynamic that was established in season one of this show. You compared it to the, to the idea that we still don't really know all that much about Discovery's bridge crew. Um, I'm just curious how that groundwork from season one of Strange New Worlds came together for you in this episode when we see such apparent camaraderie among the senior staff. So every time we sit down and we're preparing for um, a an opportunity to do another episode of this wonderful sh- podcast. Um, I I sit back and I think about what it is that I'm going to talk about, and I have like one thing, you know. There's one like uh, a mental string I tie around a finger to to bring to this to the to that particular episode, and the one thing that I wanted to bring to this episode was was the fact that um i i after even one season i care so much more about this crew they have done such a remarkable job of highlighting the members of this crew that i can go in cold to the next season of this show that's only aired 10 episodes and and Things happen in this seat in this episode, and I care about the the minutia of what's happening to the crew because I understand the crew. I care about the crew. They have spent they have done a great job of spending time with them. So I feel like I know them, and whatever happens to them matters to me. Um, they're not just th- some random person on the crew. It's Ortegas. Right. Um, so like I I know who they are and and that is remarkable to me, especially in light of the fact that I've got 30. How many seasons of of uh, Discovery have there been three, four, four. Right. Right. So I've got 40 episodes of 
of discovery. And I can't tell you, I still can't tell you everybody that's, that's on that bridge. Well, something that Tyler brought up earlier too, like when the engineering inspectors are like, like the individual character traits of how each crew member, like, of course, Uhura has her own particular specialty when it comes to the, the, the communications controls, right. but Ortegas, you never got anything that indicated like Detmer's personal perspective on her job, right? Or right. am I missing right. something? No, not at all. Not at all. I, I think Being you're right. good at it. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh-huh. Um, yeah. Ty, do you? Uh... Yeah, no, I totally agree. And like the thing I would just point at, like, so much of the camaraderie, like the interactions that we're talking about in this episode happened with a subset of the crew that did not include the captain and the first officer, you know what I mean? And everything is still like, that's what I love about like TNG does this super well. DS nine does this super, like they have a really deep ensemble, you know, like it's just a large ensemble of characters that you are each unique, you know, they don't all blend together. Um, and you can kind of just slice and dice them in interesting ways as the episodes go on. You know what I mean? Like I'm sure we're due for one or more episodes that are a lot more heavy on, uh, Pike, um, and number one, uh, than the other characters. And that's going to work too. Like I'm pretty sure, you know, and, uh, you never know who's going to get pulled away to be on whatever away mission together. And, um, like one of my favorite memories from season one of the show is uh, a time when Uhura and Hammer are stuck working together. Um, and Uhura has to kind of, you know, be the one physically manipulating the thing in engineering that she doesn't really have any experience with. Um, and that was just a, again, just like a standout moment from season one for me. And you could just feel like you're primed for more of those moments and seeing these people like get themselves into wacky situations um, with kind of different different crews is just going to be a blast throughout the season. Yeah, it works really well. Yeah, excellent. Well, I'm very pleased to say that we are being joined now at this moment. She's returned from her assignment. Dr. Rachel Clow is here. Hello. Welcome. Thank you. Appreciate you uh, uh, joining us after being monopolized in in terms of your time by a a smaller Clow. But uh, I'll I'll throw it to you too, Rachel, just because what we're talking about right now is, uh, you know, when, when they all, when the crew goes down on the planet, Pike and Una are not involved, but there seems to be like a really good rapport with these people. And it's a rapport that we didn't really get to see established in any meaningful way among the bridge crew of Discovery. Uh, sure. Considering the baseline of season one and the relationships that we were exposed to among these people, is the is the camaraderie working for you with these crew members? Absolutely. Yeah. Like, yeah, it was great. Um, I don't know if we've talked about space cocaine yet. <laughs> no, but. <laughs> Like, like that part was just cool because it was like, oh, like um, Doctor Mbanga and Nurse Chapel like have this whole like backstory together that like we don't know about. Mm-hmm. How cool is that? Yeah. Like, I just feel like all of the characters are really f- fully fleshed out, and their like relationships with each other 
exist outside of the show and we're just getting like a window on them in a way that's like really super cool mm-hmm. and just a joy to watch i don't know i yeah. just i just that's my my two senses this was just a joy to watch let, let me go back a little bit because before you came in cicero and ty and i were talking about uh klingons and how the makeup style for mm. Klingons is returning to a more classic vision of them. Cicero kind of lamented that mm. because I think he's right in pointing out there's hashtag Cicero's right. There is a lot of uh, uh, design acumen in the way that Klingons were designed in Discovery. Yeah. And that seems to be pushed aside maybe because of fan reaction or the most embedded or vocal on social media or like I had not my Klingons or whatever. What's your take? How how does the, I think that you noted that I commented on it during the episode. Um, I like these Klingons better, mostly just because the actors can emote more Mm. (laughs) um, and do like a little bit more subtle, actual acting. Yeah. And, I guess that's mostly what I missed from the makeup work from discovery, which was awesome. Um, And, you know, I don't have any Canon problems with it. I thought it looked great, but you know, the people just can't emote that much and that much makeup. So um, yeah, I I just like the Klingon makeup here. You can still kind of see the identity of the actor um, and they can do more, you know, more acting mm-hmm. uh, face acting i guess yeah. Yeah. um so, so that's what i liked about it very practical as usual um what did you guys make of catching up with oriana after the events of all those who wander where we did lose hammer to the gorn i mean that was probably one of the more emotional episodes that we probably got out of season one um it sure seems like oriana gets into trouble a lot uh but but what did you guys make of of that being sort of the thing that is pushing this episode forward, particularly as it pertains to Laon's feelings of responsibility for her since they have a shared history interacting with the Gorn? Cicero? Um, I, yeah, I, I think it, based on the way this, this episode ended, I think that portends that, that her – her connection to the Gorn is more than just incidental. Um, and, and I think we'll discover more about that as the season goes forward. Um, yeah. And I think they're playing it now as just, yeah, that it's just some just weird freaky coincidences. Um, but, but uh, yeah, but I think that there's, yeah, there's definitely a connection between, between sure. her and the Gorn. Yeah, excellent. Ty, how about you? Uh, I had not given this topic any consideration at all before seeing it on uh, our prep sheet for the show. Uh, I literally just was like, "Oh yeah, her boy. She seems to be doing well. She seems resilient. Good, good for her. <laughs> glad she glad she bounced back from that horrific mm-hmm. experience in season one." Yeah. Uh, then I didn't think about it anymore, and I. <laughs> think I missed whatever you're talking about at the end, insinuating a deeper connection. So we'll, we'll talk about that a little bit once we get more uh, to the end of the episode. Um, 
Rachel, I got kind of a, a a newt vibe from Aliens when it came to Oriana's reappearance. Uh, do you like that this is a character we're getting to see more of, particularly as it pertains to how she got the crew together for this episode? I mean, she was talking in this one, right? That's true. Yeah. So I don't really get a newt vibe anymore. There's more in the last one. Yeah, I guess it probably was more pronounced in the last one yeah. than it is here. I mean, it was fine. Yeah, I'm more on uh, I'm more on Ty's wavelength where yeah. I was just kind of like I don't really think about. It. I was just like, oh yeah, good. All right, well let's move on. <laughs> uh, so moving along with the plot, Laan briefs Spock and Ahura on her discovery. Uh, no pun intended. <laughs> A cabal of ex Starfleet and Klingon soldiers plotting to restart their war to revive the planet's economy. Laan searches for the medics while Spock and Ahura return to the Enterprise and chase the abductor ship. The Klingons try baiting Spock into firing on it for the Cabal's false flag plan. So this was, I I thought this was cool. Like the idea of using the war from season one of Discovery was something I enjoyed quite a bit. And the idea of a cunning group of Klingon extremists Seemed like a fun thread to pull on, especially because we know from material set, you know, 30 year, 30 plus years later, after this point in the timeline, that another sect of Klingons are more than willing to artificially start hostilities with the Federation. Uh, and that's my personal favorite Star Trek movie. So uh, th- this, I liked this. I, I, it was an interesting sort of echo of something that we're going to see again on a more extreme level in the future for the crew of the enterprise. But what did you guys make of this overarching plot? Like the idea of a lagging Klingon economy after the war that leads to these people trying to reignite the conflict with the Federation. Cicero. I I mean, it worked, it worked for me, right? Like it, it all made sense, right? Like it, it's, it is borrowing from things that we know to be true uh, from from our own, for, you know, from our own timeline, um, and inserting it into this fantastical science fiction timeline in the future. So, um, yeah, all of that stuff really, really works for me, um, and uh, I'm glad to see it see it there. And I'm glad I'll be very happy to see uh, what type of fruit it bears, if any. Um, because again, at the end of the episode, it, it really does seem like this was kind of a, a one and done type of thing that if, if that's the case and what it, what it is, is setting up something for 30 years into the future, which is almost 40 years, you know, 35 years in, into our past uh, for a fantastic movie. Um, that's, that's even more brilliant. Like, I love that. I love that part too. Yeah. Yeah, that's fun. Ty, how about you? Yeah, totally agree. And I think like uh, earlier you were comparing a tiny bit to Picard and like uh, not to like knock the Borg as an enemy, but one thing I really love about this was it's not just like, oh no, it's a big, strong, scary, bad guy that's like bent on domination, right? It's like, it's like the system is the enemy, right? Like all these things that like make the Federation, the Federation, like they figured out poverty, right? Like they solved it. You know what I mean? Um, And like, 
you see the flip side of that. Like this, it's not, it's not just some bad evil person or organization or race or whatever. It's like the whole damn, it's like capitalism, man. It's like the whole system is like the enemy, you know? And like, and, and it's like wars are terrible because like you, like a bunch of people get killed and fight and, you know, people lose their homes and lives and all this stuff. But it's also terrible because it creates disgusting incentives for people to like do war profiteering like this. And it just like, it works so much better. Like I almost, it doesn't, I don't know. Like I, I hope there are, they can pull on this thread a little more actually. Cause by the end of the episode, I was like, that was, that was such a cool setup that I wish they could have played with it more. I would have loved a whole season of, you know, something like Picard based around a conflict like, like this, like I just, I loved it. Yeah. And it, it honestly too kind of evokes things that we will see from the, Kling- from Klingon society in the 24th century, but also something we saw in the 22nd century when, uh, when Captain Archer was taken to Ruripente and he was put on trial and he had an advocate played by JG Hertzler who played Martok on DS nine. And that guy came from a family of, scholars and educators and he described for archer how his family was kind of denigrated in society because they weren't from the warrior class and uh it it has echoes of that too and i would love to see more honestly like we haven't seen a a ton of klingon specific societal insight from the 23rd century. And I hope that we do get more of that. Cause I think we could use it. Let's see what councilman Gorkon is up to. I would love something like that. But uh, Rachel, what did you think of the false flag operation that the Klingons tried to, to invoke here? It was cool. Um, yeah. I don't have a lot to add. I guess what I will add is that uh, my dumb ass was watching this and they were setting it up and I was thinking, uh, I, this, you know, this may have been because I was high at the time. <laughs> I was thinking, like, this is a pretty uh, cool setup for a whole season. I wonder where they're going to go with this. And then, like, a few minutes later or whatever, I'm like, wait, they're going to resolve this by the end <laughs> of this whole epi- of this episode. So much stuff's going to happen. <laughs> and then I was, like, so, I can't tell you the dopamine that came from that where i was like wait like <laughs> i get to like i get to like have this resolved and then, and then as it's resolving i'm like this is so good like it's a whole story like but that's oh, like yeah exactly but talk about that like talk about a contrast to picard where they bring up an interesting idea and you're like okay i guess that i'm gonna get half a payoff in six episodes right sure, to this yeah. where they bring up an idea and you're like Oh yeah, cool. Like they're gonna figure this out and yeah. still have time to split a keg <laughs> yeah. of blood wine. Yeah. The whole, I'm like the whole false flag thing. I was just like, wow. So like in like forty in minutes, my, yeah. Yeah, because in my head I was really preparing myself for four episodes of false flag stuff, and then I was like, <laughs> no, we, we got a we got a courtroom drama this week. It's we're going in a different direction. Yeah. Yeah, it's gonna be I'm fun. Pumped. We haven't seen a court-martial since court-martial, the TOS episode. It's going to be fun. There's no court-martials in TNG? No, there's, what are you talking about? There's jazz. There's, there's Encounter at Farpoint. 
Is there a court martial in? I, I, well, it's not a court martial. There's a there's, there's a, a lot of like courtroom court type case. stuff. Yeah, like Measure of a Man. Measure of a Man was Jag though. Like it wasn't sure. a court martial. The, like, what about wasn't the one trouble. where they start like interrogating the um the members that they think are like a quarter Romulan or something? That was more of an Inquisition. It wasn't uh, really okay. much of a court martial. Yeah, I yeah. guess. Well, well, yeah, you got a you know pedantic Pete home. over here. Sorry, yeah, wasn't wasn't <laughs> Sorry. a court martial. <laughs> Michael Burnham did go through a court martial, but we didn't see Correct. it. We didn't you see know, it. She was already on we her just, way to prison yeah, well, by the yes, time we right, caught up exactly. with her. That's um, correct. But. Uh, I don't mean to derail anything. I'm sorry. I just uh, words uh, we, mean we, things. We, <laughs> lawyer. We see an Picard faces the threat of a court martial in uh, the Drumhead. I don't know if we mentioned that. Did so, well, yeah? He was so that was yes, the that was that's what I was referring to. That right? was the Inquisition. Oh, I'm episode. sorry, I wasn't listening because yeah. I was asking ChatGPT to oh, tell right. me of instances <laughs> right. where somebody got court-martialed <laughs> in TNG, and that's what it said. So, yeah, no, good um, job, human beats AI. That's the, the lesson. Did, did, didn't, John Henry. didn't uh, um, someone get court-martialed in the Kelvin films? Kirk? This is what people tune into the podcast to hear. Absolutely. Kirk's us guessing on. Yeah, right. Kirk uh, did not have an actual court martial. He had an academic disciplinary hearing because okay. he cheated at the Kobayashi Maru. <laughs> so uh, I'm trying to think if there's any. Other, I mean, there we saw a fate. Well, no. When Worf uh, was on, he was sort well, of on trial, but that was like a Klingon right. trial. Right, in DS9. And, and that was on DS9, and Cisco was next to right. him. And then we right. had like a fake holographic kind of court martial scenario with Sloan and Bashir, but it wasn't technically a court martial and it wasn't real. So. Yeah. Enough, Chris. That that horse is dead. It's right, dead, yeah. Jim. Sorry, I've been, there's no meat oh, left on those. He's already bones. dead. Yeah. All right. Well, this seems as good a time as any. Uh, how are you guys feeling about Pelia? Uh, Ty, what do you think of uh, the to be chief engineer of the Enterprise? So, unlike many viewers, I'm not super familiar with this actor and their other Carol body Kane. work, Carol Kane, right? Yeah. Um, so it was kind of just a zany, totally out of nowhere little surprise for me. Um, I thought like, you know, the scene where she's kind of like, I'm, yeah, you're going to steal the ship. I'm down. And Spock <laughs> is like, so slow walking it. Right. And being like, what do you mean? We're not going to steal the ship was so like both agonizing, but also just like fun, you know? Yeah. Um, and, and by the end of the episode, I was like, we have not seen her enough. Like, there's no way this is her only episode. Right. And then sure enough, like, I guess you can not only steal a starship and not get punished, but then you can also just like choose to reassign yourself or reassign (laughs) inspectors to be like, you know what I mean? Like, it's just so like fast and loose with the personnel in Starfleet. But like, uh, yeah, I think it's like going to be interesting to see how they play this character because she's obviously, um, pretty funny, like as a vibe. Um, and so whether they're going to just kind of mine that character for comedy or, uh, put her in some serious situations, uh, will be really interesting to see. And I think like 
modern Trek tends to bridge those things well, like the um, you know, this, this, the funny moments being funnier because you actually do care about these characters. Yeah. Um, and the serious moments having more impact because you've laughed with these characters. And so, um, I, yeah, I'm, I'm open to, I'm a, a slightly skeptical, but like the show has like a pretty good batting average, you know, yeah, sure. like a hundred or whatever at this point. So, uh, yeah, I'm along for the ride for sure. Cool. Rachel, what did you think of, uh, of Pelia? You, I remember you remarked on the uniqueness of her accent. Yeah, her accent is like breaking my brain because <laughs> I've like my brain is just like continually like trying to place it. It's like that's Carol Kane's accent, but not like what is she? What is she doing? And I know it's just that's that like she's been alive forever. So like who knows what happens to your accent when you've been alive forever? Maybe that's just her <laughs> accent, or like she's been like living in so many different places for so many she's times. Just it's just like yeah, things. it just gets weird. It's like well, how Australian people get a little is more. She actually a lanthanite that has been alive for hundreds of years. Uhura <laughs> identified her by her accent. Oh yeah, yeah. Okay, so it's so a lanthanite. Maybe all lanthanides are like that, though. I don't know. Who knows? Yeah, it's just it's just the laugh. It was a lanthanite laugh. <laughs> a lanthanite. Yeah. Um, but yeah, uh, I it just like broke my brain because I was trying to place it, but like I don't mind it. Um, and I like her as a character. I like that. I loved her introduction. Was just like really well done. I thought. Yeah, yeah. Excellent, Cicero. Um, so uh, I spent a lot of time, um, trying to figure out if that was Bernadette Peters, um, because they, they do, uh, favor each other. Um, but yeah, like, like I immediately, I knew the actor, but I, like, I wasn't sure if it was Bernadette Peters or, 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 uh, Carol Kane. Um, but, uh, nonetheless, uh, it seems like for Trek, right? Like this is the engine. The chief engineer is the the weird person that they that they add, right? Like this is the Jet Reno. This is the Hammer replacement, right? Like this is the they occupy that that weird space of like you know whip smart, but also comic relief. You know, very esoteric, but but quirky but extremely lovable um and uh she fits right in obviously uh and i think it is going to be cool to have her around further on the ship during the show and i wonder what's going to happen when the the command team comes back or at least captain pike returns and he's got a new chief engineer that he didn't sign off on. So, <laughs> yeah, that, but you know, you bring up an interesting point that I hadn't really considered. Is like the overly quirky chief engineer a an innovation of modern Trek? Because I'm going through the shows, right? Like Trip Tucker was not a particularly weird guy, right? I don't feel like Scotty was very weird. No. Um, he, he was, he was just uh, a, kind of a mechanic, right? Like, yeah. He was, just, he was a passionate guy who, and he, right. and he loved booze, but like, he wasn't weird. Jordy, right. maybe you're getting there with Jordy just because yeah. they did him kind of dirty in the show. 
at, cer- the, at certain the points. The Leah Brom stuff. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, he was, yeah. Other yeah. than that, he's not weird, but... <laughs> right, right, right. Right. And then, you know, Chief O'Brien, salt of the earth, right. you know, just a, a decent man. And then Belana Torres was not... I don't think she was weird at all, you know? So, but then you get to Disco, and we didn't really see a chief engineer in the first season, but Jet Reno... Yeah is definitely like more a, a more extreme personality i guess hammer not so much weird as much as just like extremely charismatic i thought and then now you But have- he did do the thing where he initially came off as like very abrasive to a lot right, of yeah, folks sure. too so i think he had that kind of like that kind of like sharp edged personality i, I right. think he's kind of one yeah, just of the quirk, yeah just quirk centric ones so right. it's like a new trek thing it seems yeah we pretty that's, much that's what i think yeah oh yeah. that's funny yeah i had i didn't give that any thought until you mentioned that that's that's kind of cool hey well i mean hey it's a, it's a way to make people stand out you know it seems to be working well, let's move along uh, with the plot. We've only got a couple more points to talk about. Uh, Chapel and Mbenga fight the Klingons. Mbenga then remorselessly tortures a Klingon for information. Undeterred by the Klingon ruse, Spock beams Chapel and Mbenga aboard. The Klingon captain requests his presence, and they cease hostilities over drinks. A lot of things happen during this moment here. The space cocaine, as Rachel has already alluded to, uh, being blown out into the vacuum of space with minimal chance for survival, although both oh, Amanda and Chapel have plot armor. So, I mean, they both survive in the TOS, so we know that they're going to be fine. But it's still kind of a tense moment. Um, but there's just there's a lot here. I guess where I want to start, especially with the cessation of hostilities, you know, Spock drinking the blood wine and doing the, uh, you know, going along with his goblet. Uh, we talked before about this, the setup for Klingons, but what about the execution of seeing the Klingons here, at least like the mainstream Klingons, like the actual representatives of the Empire? Because they're clearly more hostile, but they also seem more hospitable, certainly than their portrayals in seasons one and two of Discovery. Uh, Cicero, what did you make of actually seeing the Klingons and seeing Spock interact with them? Well, it, what was interesting for me was I didn't, I didn't go – Back in canon, when I thought about these Klingons, I went forward in canon Hmm. to TOS to think about why, because these, because these Klingons, and and I think that Ty and Rachel are, are right that, um, in, in so much that, uh, Rachel's right by saying that these actors are able to emote more with the, the classic Klingon uh, makeup, but Ty also saying that this makeup made it more palatable for the friendly, you know, this kind of like like camaraderie, the friendly camaraderie that that Spock and the Klingons were able to have at the end of that episode um, made that possible with that makeup, right? It looked, it felt more believable as opposed to the Discovery makeup. Um, but it, what what it made me think about was the Klingons that we meet in in TOS, right? And and how there's that hostility between you know cl- clear hostility between the Federation 
and and the you know and the Klingon Empire, um, and how how that dichotomy kind of like exists, just because you know it's not that far in the future, right? Like we don't we we see them for the first time again in season one of TOS. Aaron right? Mercy, like, yeah, yeah. Core, so who played a pretty big part in DS9. Right, right. That's right. So like that's it's interesting to see Spock being cool with them, right? Like they're having, you know, he he went to the biker bar <laughs> and and you know, drinks, you know, the drinks are on them now, right? Like and he he's it seems like he has carte blanche to walk back into that biker bar whenever he wants cuz he's he's down. Sure. Yeah. You know, so that, yeah, so that part was that part's weird to me. Mm-hmm. Sure. Rachel, the portrayal of the Klingons at the end of the episode, what did you make of it in terms of, you know, what you bring for expectations of seeing Klingons? To me it felt a lot more like DS9. Mm. Um or some TNG like with uh when you're like looking at the internal Klingon politics with Gowron and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that's just what it, the characterization felt like, which, uh, you know, I'm, I'm a nasty TNG freak. So <laughs> I was like, yeah, I love it. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, I liked it. Cool. Ty. Yeah, I totally agree. It's so funny. Cicero said the thing about the biker bar and that's actually, you know, what I had written down in my notes about this, this topic was like, it it was like Spock with these Klingons. It was like a nerd in a biker bar, but the whole thing was happening in the context of like a beer commercial. So like the whole thing (laughs) might, you know what I mean? Like might turn really fun and, and like silly. Um, and like Cicero said, like, yeah, like now the drinks are on them. Um, and yeah, like I got, and, and the biker bar in, in, in my head in this case is quarks, right? Like, like that, these were the Klingons who like you walk in, the Klingons are there and it could totally go either way. Right. If, if they're in the right mood and you play your cards right and you say the right thing, you're going to be welcomed with open arms and you're going to be, you know, cheersing mugs of blood wine all night. But if you don't, if you try and be nice to them or, or something like that, you know, if you say sorry when you accidentally bump into them or, show some sign of weakness then you're going to be getting stabbed you know and you don't have redundant kidneys like they do so it's (laughs) it's gonna hurt yeah i think that those are all very good points again you know what this is conjuring for me is star trek six because we see this rapport like spock knows how to handle klingons in a one-on-one situation we never really got to see him do that in tos most of the time when the enterprise under kirk's command interacted with klingons didn't go very well you know like kirk honestly it's something that i hope is maybe explored in this season because kirk has an axe to grind with klingons even before they murder his son you know and, and i i feel like the war as established in disco could maybe give some runway to that. But when it comes to Spock, now it makes even more sense to me that he is the person who ultimately ends up facilitating peace between the Klingon Empire and the Federation. Like this experience he had as a young man that gave him insight into the Klingon mindset 
could have played a pivotal role in what he ultimately did to bring them to the table of negotiation. And I like that a lot, actually. Um, in terms of the characterizations, it did feel a bit descended from TOS, but kind of to your point, Cicero, and to, to well, to everybody's point, um, you know, they didn't establish this, uh, this devotion that Klingons have to honor until way later, well after TOS. So the idea of sort of combining what we know about the Klingon ideology with the hostility toward humans and the Federation at large, this seemed like it fit that mold to me. So it was like hitting all the buttons for the pedantic continuity nut in me. Like I was, I enjoyed a lot of uh, these, these interactions here, but now let's talk. We have to talk about Dr. Mbenga. Uh, my God, he seems to be working through a lot and clearly he's not a man who escaped the war unscathed. You know, he had that brief conversation with the Klingon uh, in the, it was like the, the fake Starfleet med bay. Right. And uh, the Klingon did not believe how involved he was in the war, particularly with a particular, particularly with a specific engagement that did not have very many survivors that he claims to have survived. Um, what does this add or maybe take away uh, in terms of Dr. Mbenga's character for you guys? Cicero, why don't you start us off? Man, oh man. Uh, like uh, Dr. Mbenga, he, he's, he's seen some things. He is he has seen some things. He has done some things. Yeah. Um, and uh, you know, when when the juice is loose and Dr. Mbenga, uh, and and he goes for it. The, I, I I love this, right? I, again, this is this is the thing that, that we point back to, right? That you know, from from your initial question about um you know our understanding, our affinity, our our our, uh, our love of this crew um, is is these things. The thing that Rachel, when Rachel comes in, she says, right? Like it feels like they've been living a life, and we just get to see a portion of it, right? Like they're living a life off the screen that we just get to see a portion of it, and 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 hopefully we, you know, some of that stuff does get colored in, so we can we can have a. a, a a, a more full understanding of, of who these people are and the struggles and, and their challenges. Um, but I don't want it all right. Like I, I, I want some of that to just be things that we have to glean from the things that we see during, during our conversations or during those moments that we get with them. Uh, but, but boy, what they were able to do, um, both for Mbenga and for Nurse Chapel um, during the course of this stuff. Like Mbenga has definitely seen some things and Nurse Chapel, she's seen stuff, but she's watched Mbenga see some stuff. Yeah. Right. And that's, and, and like that dynamic is super cool mm -hmm. um, because she didn't go too deep into the stuff so that she is the she has the ability to pull him out, um, and and like 
that relationship is something that you knew, like there was a portion of it that you knew, like, oh, okay, well, they've they've got a good working relationship. But now you know, like, oh, no, 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 no. These guys were in the shit together, right? Like, oh, they're they're siblings, right? They're, you know, that's a that's the bond of some people that have been through some stuff and know that they can, you know, they they they're tethered. Um, and I love that. I love that. It was, man, so good. Yeah. Yeah. Very well, well said and well expressed as usual. Uh, yeah. The, the, just the look on Chapel's face uh, during the time that this stuff is playing out. Yeah. That, that sticks with me too. Uh, Rachel, what did you make of, of particularly Dr. Mbenga, but also with nurse Chapel and, and the, the stuff that they apparently have seen together? I guess one of my thoughts before the season had started was I was wondering what they were going to do with Dr. Mbanga since his like main thing last season was just, I have a daughter who's a, lives in a transporter. Um, this is a whole different side of him. <laughs> <laughs> right. That, I mean, that was his only thing, really. Um, uh, and then they resolved that, right? So I'm glad that they're doing something, you know, giving him other things to, to do. And I don't know if this, um, you know, his wacky PTSD is going to, well, I guess I don't know that he has PTSD, but, um, you know, some sort of He's got war, PTSD. war trauma. Um, like, yeah. yeah, that if that's going to be something that recurs all season and like it's going to be his new thing or if it, they're just adding more backstory to him in general. Um, so I, you know, I'm looking forward to see what they do with that. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, I'm also looking forward to seeing, you know, learning more about how he interacted with Nurse Chapel in the past. If, you know, and maybe that's just a one-off thing. I don't know. Or sure. maybe we'll learn more. Yeah. Just, yeah. I'm excited. Yeah. Good. Good. Ty? Man, I mean, you could assemble a Star Trek dream team of bare knuckle fighters at this point. Uh, <laughs> like these two, you got emotional Spock, you know, Spock Unleashed, uh, OO from Discovery. I yeah. mean, you can't, you can't beat that team. Um, yeah. I, like, I just agree like really emphatically with everything that Cicero said about the bond, especially between these two characters. Like really, I, I thought I had kind of like even noticed in season one how I was like, man, Benga and Chapel like are super competent and work super well together, right? And they have that thing where people who have worked together a long time and really vibe well have where they don't like necessarily have to even finish their sentences and, you know, they can kind of, they just have a really good feel for each other. And this really like kind of filled in some of those blanks. And like, Chris, you talked about uh, the scene where they blast themselves into space and like their level of calmness, right? Like Cicero, you said like siblings, like their, their level of just like, yeah, this, I guess this is our only option. Right. And how quickly they eliminate the other options accept that their only option is terrible and just follow through with it and just do it because that's what has to be done. And they're clearly so used to being in that situation of having no options and still doing what needs to be done that it was like, yeah, it just gave me goosebumps, right? It was like exciting and and chilling. Um, And like the only other thing, did you guys think like they take like the compound, whatever, you know, the, the ooze and, and then like there's like a slow motion, like scene of them like 
beating everybody up. And then like, I felt like they stopped and they're like, oh no, there's more or like they're coming through. And then like, there's another like couple minutes of like, slow, yeah. like, like I felt like there was a really, really, really long period of time in this episode where they were just like slow motion, like snapping necks and stuff. And I was kind of <laughs> like, I get it. <laughs> yeah, I think that's that just fair. me. No, no. <laughs> I think that's fair. The, the the time did slow down with that. But uh, no, excellent takes, as always. Uh, well, finally, the final point of the plot. Laan meets Oriana again before returning to the Enterprise. Admiral April reprimands a hungover Spock, but April's <laughs> superior persuades him to stop, noting Spock's diplomacy could help defuse tensions with the Gorn. And Pelia is appointed the new chief engineer of the Enterprise. Uh, again, you know, there's a lot of stuff here. Pelia talking about how her long lifespan, the most painful thing about it, isn't all the people she loses or the, the, the time that she is living, but the boredom and how the Enterprise is a path away from boredom. So she wants to get to, to just get on board. Cicero, I think you make a good point. Like, well, what is, did Captain Pike have anything to say about this? But, you know, well, a question for another time. Um, and Spock being hung over on blood wine while trying to, uh, to talk himself out of a court martial. That was, uh, that was a lot of fun. But it also seems like just considering the way the episode ends, um, the Gorn are coming back as a boogeyman for this season. Uh, are you guys ready for that? Are you up for that? Was there potential as the big bad for the season sufficiently set up in season one? Did you maybe get what you needed from the Gorn or are you open to the possibilities here? Uh, Ty, please. Yeah. Like, so earlier I was kind of talking about how I like a villain that's a little more complicated than just like, you know, a, a just pure evil domination, like force that just goes around killing people. Right. Which I think the Gorn kind of like qualify at this point as, as that, like, I don't really know if there's a lot of moral gray area or whatever with the Gorn, but the reason that I'm still okay with that and excited about the rest of the season is because I know this is a show that doesn't do things like Picard. They're not going to string me along with like six, episodes where each one ends with like some new tiny little reveal about the Gorn or whatever, right? Like we're probably going to get like when you say the Gorn or the big bad for this season in the context of strange new worlds, that probably means we get like two or three, maybe four episodes that are like really heavy on this stuff, but we're still going to go exploring. We're going to seek out new life and new civilizations in the meantime. Right. And so like, cool. Yeah. Bring on the Gorn, like throw them in there. And like, Mm -hmm. that doesn't have to be the only thing we do all season. And so therefore I'm excited about it. Yeah. Excellent. Cicero, the return of the Gorn. Yeah, I'm I'm definitely for it. Uh, I mean, clearly we were, well, I'm not going to say clearly, but, but it, I think they set it up for the Gorn to, to play a role throughout the course of this series because one of the bridge crew, because you know Leon has has a history with with the Gorn, um, and that has that it has yet to be resolved, really. Um, so uh, it will be interesting to see. Um, what we're doing with that, and you know, and of course, like we we still have we still have Newt around for you know for the aliens to chase. I 
I do hope that Ty is wrong about the Gorn just being aggressive big bet. Like I hope that we do develop some kind of nuance to them. Um, and, and that the, we, we do get to see something other than just, Oh, Gorn equals bad, you know, kill Gorn. They, you know, hard to kill the end, you know, and we do it or whatever. Um, but, but like, I'm, I'm down for it. Right. Like so far, as Ty has said before, um, they haven't steered me wrong, so uh, I'm I'm here for it. Even if I'm not necessarily sure what it is I'm here for, I'm here for it. Sure, yeah. Would have loved to know which side the Gorn came on in the Dominion War. We never really learned that. I, I'd still like to know that. Uh, Rachel, the return of the Gorn. What are you are, are you ready for it? Are you, are you good with it? What uh, what's your take? I mean, it's happening. Uh, <laughs> eh. I don't know. I mean, I felt like they were good as like a really like scary faceless enemy last season. And you seem pretty enthusiastic after you rewatched Arena. Yeah, I mean, it was a like I think that they tied to that episode really well mm-hmm. and stuff. I mean, it was cool. Um I'm not, I just don't feel super enthusiastic about seeing more of them. And we're sure. like, okay, more of the same. Um, I hope I, you know, I hope I am impressed. All right. Sure. Well, Spoimler is still in our futures. The Spock Boimler bromance that, as so named by Jack Quaid. So <laughs> that, that I'm, I'm, st- I'm counting the, t- like, I think that's on the, the, back end of the season unfortunately so we gotta wait a while for it but man like in between that stuff we get some gorn cool i'm right i'm here for it well that is uh the primary portion of our discussion but we always have to touch on at least one little thing before we go it's pedantic continuity time so, chronologic, and this is, of course, from the fine editors over at Wikipedia, except for one instance that I added myself at the very end. Chronologically, this is the first known instance where Spock and Uhura helped to steal the Enterprise in some form. Spock later went on to hijack the Enterprise by himself during the events of the Menagerie Part 1, while Uhura aided in a similar effort during the events of Star Trek Three: The Search for Spock, which we have touched on already. Spock's successful negotiations with the Klingons could set up his efforts to pursue peace between the Klingon Empire and the Federation in 2293, something else we touched on from Star Trek VI, The Undiscovered Country. The Gorn attack ship is seen on a stellar chart approaching the the Galdantari system, a place where the albino would narrowly escape from a confrontation with Kang, Koloth, Kor, and Curzon Dax, either before or during 2345 from the DS9 episode Blood Oath. Uh, since the events of Equality of Mercy, Uhura has been promoted to Ensign. Yes, something noted in the uh, in the episode. Months have passed between the events of All Those Who Wander and this episode. I think that's pretty self-explanatory. Memory Alpha editors, did we need to put that one in there? I don't know. I think it's pretty self-referential. Because people are dumb. All right. Like, they yeah. need help. Okay. <laughs> This episode marks the first appearance of Klingons on the series, which we talked about a lot over the course of this discussion. And according to Dr. Joseph Mbenga, 100 million Federation citizens died during the Federation-Klingon War, 
which of course broke out after Michael Burnham's confrontation with Takuvma, as seen at the Battle of the Binary Stars in Discovery Season 1. And then my own entry, this episode technically represents a canon violation. Spock isn't depicted as having any command authority until an episode of TOS called the Galileo 7, where he was in charge of a doomed shuttlecraft crew stranded on, the, on a planet outside the Enterprise's reach. But maybe you could explain that away as having been his first official command, since this mission is very much unsanctioned by Starfleet. So that's how I'll reason it in my head. But... Everybody, thank you for coming back and joining us once again. We're very happy to be back talking about a brand new season of Star Trek Strange New Worlds. Uh, any final parting thoughts from uh, from the bridge crew here? Glad to be back with my friends. Oh, We are and always shall be your friends. Tie. Happy Pride, everybody. It is Pride Month as we're it recording is. this, and I, I feel like Star Trek is just leaned so heavily into that side of itself and into representation. And it's one of the things I really love about watching Star Trek. So I figure it's worth mentioning since I forgot to say it at the top of the show when I meant to. So well said, Rachel, any parting thoughts before we dismiss? Strange New Worlds is so good. Yeah. Like I forgot. I was just like, no, I just forgot. I was like, ah, new Star Trek. All right, let's watch it. And then I was like, I was like, this is so good. Like, I was like, and you're even saying this about an episode that was light on uh, Captain uh, Captain Pike. Pike. Yeah, that's true. Well, no, I just don't watch it be- for like okay. handsome handsomeness. <laughs> Come on now. Yeah, but it's not not a draw. That's what I'm saying. It's yeah, a deep sure. show. It's multifaceted. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> There, Spock is also handsome. That's true. <laughs> right, right. That's true. Yes. Well, uh, happy to be back, of course, and uh, we'll be back very soon to talk about the next episode. But that is going to do it for episode number 96 of Discovery Debrief. We hope you enjoyed the show. And if you did, please like and follow us on our social media channels. And if you'd be so kind, we'd also appreciate it if you wrote a review for the show wherever you found it. It only takes a minute and let us know if you wrote one, and we'll be happy to read your review on the air when it's posted. If you have any questions, you can follow the show on Twitter at DSC Debrief and feel free to send us questions through Twitter or by emailing us at hailingfrequencies at discoverydebrief.com. Please be sure to set your courses for this feed for future episodes and be sure to join us next time as we discuss another adventure in the fabled legacy of the name Enterprise. As always, though, until we meet again, please go boldly, my friends. (laughs) 